In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Today we celebrate the external solemnity of the most precious blood of Jesus, which is the titular feast day of our parish, so it is of particular interest and import for us to contemplate and to adore this great mystery of the most precious blood of our Savior. The blood of Christ is the source of all of the graces and blessings which we receive from God. For had that most precious blood not been spilled for us, it would have been better that we had not been born. Oftentimes, we take this blood for granted. It is in human nature to see itself as do everything and owing nothing. Oftentimes, we consider much more that which is owed to us than our debt towards our neighbor, our country, and our God. And it is fitting today that this Sunday coincides with Independence Day, a national holiday when we recognize the sacrifices of our forefathers for the many temporal benefits and blessings which God has bestowed upon us through the efforts of they who have gone before us, that we should consider the virtue of gratitude. Gratitude above all to God, for he is the source of all blessings, both spiritual and temporal, and also gratitude to those men who lay down their lives so that we might enjoy the relative security and freedom that we do in our country, a country which we have an obligation as citizens to love and to respect and to revere. It is true that this is a natural obligation, but natural obligations are no less obligatory for the fact that they are natural. For grace and nature are not in opposition, but grace builds upon nature. It doesn't take it away. In order to be good citizens of heaven, we must first learn to be good citizens of earth. Therefore, Christ tells us, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. If we see opposition between the two, we have a faulty estimation of our duties as citizens of heaven. For the heavenly kingdom takes nothing away from the kingdoms of the earth, but rather it endows them with their legitimacy. The only circumstances under which we are not to honor the king and obey his edicts are when the king's edicts are at variance with the edicts of the king of heaven, in which case they have no force of law but are an abuse of authority. But that being said, we mustn't fall into an extremist position of sectarianism where we view our country as our enemy and our duties as Catholics as opposed to our duties of citizens. Pope Pius XI said that the best Catholics make the best citizens, and the best citizens are always going to be the best Catholics because it is only in the true religion that we discover the necessary virtues, the necessary truths, and the necessary strength to love our country as we ought, to love our neighbor as we ought, and to love ourselves as we ought. 
and of course to love God as he deserves. Our Lord Jesus Christ shed for us every drop of his most precious blood. Sacred scripture tells us that life is in the blood. This was the Jewish conception and understanding of the purpose of blood, that the soul resided within the blood. And so when a victim, a holocaust, was offered at the temple, its blood would be given to God. It would not be consumed by those who partook of the offering, but it would be set aside for God because God is the source of all life. The blood of Christ being poured out is the holocaust of holocausts because a holocaust is a, an offering in which everything is given to God. It is an offering that is made in its entirety to the divinity. And Christ upon the cross offered himself as a holocaust for our sins. Our sins were redeemed at a very great price. Each one of our souls was redeemed, not cheaply, but at the cost of the life of the only begotten Son of God through the most painful, the most difficult, the heaviest of all possible human deaths. Christ being truly God and truly man, he was endowed with the most refined, <clears throat> the most beautiful, the most sensitive of all human natures. And therefore he experienced the sorrow and the torment of death in a way which is deeper and more profound than any other human could ever experience that punishment for sin, which it was not his to pay but ours, but which we could never pay not having wherewith to pay that debt. We owed God everything by violating his commandments, by original and actual sin, and we had not wherewith to pay the debt. And so Christ, being an infinite person of equal majesty with the Godhead, the triune God, took our nature in order to pay our debt for us and to ransom us from eternal slavery to the king of hell, Lucifer. By the blood of Christ, we have been set free from the bondage of sin. And every time we sin, we can approach the holy sacrament of penance to have our sins cleansed once more in the blood of Christ. Blessed are they that have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, for they shall have the right to the tree of life and shall be permitted entry into the eternal city. How often do we neglect to live up to this great dignity that is ours because of the shedding of the blood of the only Son of God? We were adopted not by a legal contract, but by a blood covenant, signed in the blood of Jesus Christ himself. There is an infinite gap between us and the divinity, between this reality of God taking our nature and laying down his life for us, and our own feeble comprehension of it. This should be the primary occupation of our minds and our hearts in this world, is how to give back at least the debt we owe in gratitude for such an offering and for such a ransom with which we have been ransomed through the shedding of this most precious blood 
of the Immaculate Lamb of God. And how indifferent we are. How lukewarm do we take our salvation despite all this? How often do we continuously offend the good God and again and again return to confession, seeking his pardon? And God, for all our ingratitude, is always there like the good father of the prodigal son, ready to receive us, ready to wash us clean in his most precious blood. But it is not because his blood is cheap, for often we value less that which is more common, and with how easily we can access the most precious blood of Jesus, there is a risk of beginning to at least implicitly view it with a sort of a lack of appreciation or a lowered estimation of its worth. The blood of Christ is priceless. One drop could have redeemed the whole world from all sins, and Christ poured out all his blood for us. During, in all of the sacraments but one, we receive the blood of Christ applied to our souls as it was applied to the lintels of the doors of the homes of the Hebrews at the Passover, so that the angel destroyer, upon seeing that mark, would pass over and spare the lives of those within. This was done in figure to show us the spiritual reality of the power of the blood of the true Lamb of God when applied to our souls through the sacraments, and how the angel of death is powerless, Satan is powerless over us when he sees the blood of Christ on the door of our hearts. Christ himself in the book of the Apocalypse equates the heart to a door. He says, Behold, I stand at the gate and knock. If any man open to me, I shall enter in and sup with him and he with me. Christ knocks at the door of our heart. He knocks before the angel destroyer passes over us. He knocks in order to apply his precious blood, which is that upon which, which he wishes to sup with us. He calls us and invites us to receive his body and blood in the most holy sacrament of the altar, which is the only sacrament by which we receive that blood not only morally, because in the other six sacraments the virtue of the blood of Christ is applied to our souls, but in the holy sacrament of the altar that blood itself is literally applied to our souls and our bodies. We become fierce and terrible to the demon when we receive the Holy Eucharist piously with the proper dispositions in a state of grace with humility. This is to apply the blood of the Lamb to the lintels of the door of our hearts so that when the angel of death comes he may pass over us because we are marked with the blood of Christ. Do we take seriously this reality this, of all realities, the most beautiful and sublime, that we are united to Christ in his blood at each and every Holy Communion? Or do we often receive Holy Communion as a mere formalistic ritual on Sunday morning? Do we examine ourselves to know whether we are worthily disposed to receive so great a gift? 
to receive the chalice of the new and eternal testament. When you receive the sacred host, you receive body, blood, soul, and divinity, Jesus Christ, really, truly, and substantially present. To receive him into your heart, you must be in a state of grace. And to be in a state of grace, you must avoid sin. Or have you the misfortune to fall, you must go without delay to confession to be washed in that blood before you can partake of it at the altar. Are we grateful for all of these gifts of God, or are we like spoiled children who always see the cup as half empty? Do we appreciate the infinite depths of the richness of the gift of God that we receive in our parish? Or do we simply spend our time bemoaning the things that don't look so well in Rome or in Germany, and they certainly look very bleak indeed? But the problems in the church are no match for the beauties, the graces, and the treasures that we receive from the church. If all we can see when we think about the Catholic Church is a broken and sorry institution, then we are thinking as carnal-minded men and not as citizens of heaven. Christ didn't establish his church in order to create a utopia here below. He established his church as the only ark by which we can escape the deluge of God's justice that will come at the end of time and at the end of our personal lives in the form of judgment. If we are in the church, we will be saved, and if we are outside of the church, we will be damned. There is no third option. Outside of the church, there is no salvation. The church is a reality for which we should be infinitely grateful to God. For the church was born from the, the pierced side of our Savior on the cross when he slept the sleep of death, just as Eve was born from the side of Adam when Adam was placed in the deep sleep in the garden. The church is the bride of the new Adam, Jesus Christ. The church is not an NGO, even though some of her cardinals and leaders seem to think that she is. It doesn't matter what they think. What matters is that your salvation is dispensed and achieved and accomplished here in your parish. Because God is not remote, he is not distant from you. He invites you to come and to grow in his likeness, in his image. To come and have his blood applied to your soul as often as you need it. When you are tempted, when you are lukewarm, when you are distracted, when you feel ungrateful, come and throw yourselves on your knees before the holy tabernacle and adore the precious blood of Jesus Christ contained therein. Your mediocrity is in no way due to God's not giving you sufficient grace. It is due to your lack of cooperation with that grace. You're treating that precious blood as though it were something cheap, something easily here today, gone tomorrow, not something to cherish, to treasure. If in the Old Testament, it were known that the blood of God himself would be present in the temples of the new and eternal covenant, with what reverence 
do you think the Jews of old would not process with fear and trembling to adore? And we? How do we treat our church? I myself am guilty often of speaking too much in the church, and I think we should all make a greater effort to revere this holy edifice, this consecrated and sacred space, by keeping silent in the presence of the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. Of course, babies praise God by their cooing and crying, and he himself says, let the little ones come to me and forbid them not. But we're not little ones in that sense, and we need to set a good example, lest we scandalize the next generation by offering them a poor example of reverence in the presence of so great and awful and terrible a God. Terrible is this place. It is the house of God and the gate of heaven. Let us also remember on this day when we adore and worship the most precious blood of Jesus, let us revere and be in gratitude for the blood that was shed for us by those who laid down their lives so that we might be free. The soldiers who gave their lives at a very young age over in Europe fighting the Nazis and fighting the Imperial Japanese who gave their lives fighting the evils of communism in Vietnam. Unpopular though it was, it was nevertheless a war against a satanic ideology. Saint Joseph, you may not know, is the patron saint against communism. And it merits being said in this year dedicated to Saint Joseph. Pius XI declared him the patron saint against communism. So pray to Saint Joseph so that the communists may be thwarted in their efforts to destroy our country. But all of these men who laid down their lives did a very Christ-like act. We mustn't belittle or forget what they have done for us to allow us to have a temporal blessing of a relatively safe and peaceful country. The fact that there are many crimes committed in this country does not negate the real blessings that we receive because of the sacrifices of others. Gratitude is a part of justice. It's a, a virtue by which we cannot repay that which we have received, but we can at least make an attempt to repay it by an expression of thanks, an expression of recognition of the giver of the gift for what he has given us. And that is why ho holidays such as Memorial Day and the 4th of July are important, even on a spiritual level. For we will not be good and holy and pleasing Catholics, we will not be like our Savior if we have hearts that are hardened and indifferent and egotistical and selfish, always seeing their own little world and their own little problems without recognizing that we do in fact stand on the shoulders of giants, both spiritually and temporally. All of the blessings and benefits we have in this country were not purchased at a cheap price either. We should recognize that and give thanks to God for all the blessings we have received as Americans and especially as his children, adopted children adopted in the blood of his son. Let us strive to take our salvation seriously so that we may not forfeit our souls and waste so great a price that was paid for them. 
For the blood of Christ can indeed be wasted. It is on you and it is on me to ensure that it is not shed in vain by Jesus Christ. For he thought of you when he hung on the cross. He thought of you in the agony of the garden. The sins that you have committed in the past and the sins that you will commit in the future were present in the mind of Christ when he was tormented because of them. And each new sin you commit adds in some mysterious way to what he already endured. He already endured it. We don't know what sins you will commit, but because he is omniscient and could foresee all of the sins of time, he suffered greatly for the sins that would be committed. So the choice is up to us whether we will trample his blood underfoot by despising the victim of our salvation and plunging headlong into sin, or if not so grave as that, at least by neglecting his divine inspirations. When we neglect a grace of God, we are spurning a drop of the blood of Christ which is offered to us. Each time we are inspired by our good angel to do a good act, to avoid a sin, to perform some good work, to pray, to contemplate the word of God, and we choose not to do it, we are spurning, in a, at least indirectly, the precious blood of Jesus. And we thereby render ourselves less worthy of future graces. And the grace that was offered once will never be offered again. That is why time is so valuable. Because once you live a day, you can never relive that day. And all the graces God had in store for you that day will not be offered tomorrow. Different graces, yes, but never the graces that were offered yesterday. If you neglect them, you can never get them back, and you render yourself less worthy to receive future graces. So let us strive with a greater earnest to really conform ourselves to the heart of Jesus Christ by begging him and his Holy Mother to apply that sacred, precious blood to our souls. Let us take seriously the work of our salvation. If any of you believe that there is very little to no chance you will wind up in hell, you are in serious spiritual trouble. For each and every one of us in this building has a very, very real chance of spending eternity with the devil in hell. This is not said to render you psychotic, it's said to spur you on in the pursuit of heaven. St. Paul says, I work out my salvation with fear and trembling, lest, having preached to others, I myself become a shipwreck. Salvation is not easy to attain. Straight is the way and narrow is the path that leads to life, and few there are that find it, says our Divine Master. Let us strive with humility and with hope to be among the little flock of the elect of Christ whom he will save. His grace is not wanting, but your wills and my wills often are. So let us, want, let us be wanting no longer and let us cooperate with grace while there is still time to do so. Let us give as much attention to our own soul as we do to the political and social problems around us, and I think we will make very great strides indeed in growing in our spiritual lives and in our relationship 
with our Savior who shed his blood for us. Precious blood of Jesus, save us. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.